I'm usually not a fan, but these strawberry Pop-Tarts with no frosting are delicious. Like no eating frosting. cardboard with crappy jam on it. Oh, I don't care. Like, Sometimes. you mean from a box? Yeah. What, are you making your own Pop-Tarts? There are places that make Pop-Tarts. You know what, that's privilege right there. to My Racist Friend, the podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKeese. And I'm Don Griffin. All right, I got my puppy out oh. here on the porch with me. We're going to see if this works out. It's fun to have the dog. It is. It makes things easier, doesn't it? Yeah. I like your dog. He surprisingly doesn't hate you. Yesterday, he might have hated me just a little bit. He's he's so freaked out by uh, the lack of activity in our house, I think. Yeah, I could see that. Um, not your activity. Not, I don't mean that as you. Hey, Cooper, come here. Come over here. She's trying, trying to catch the bees. <laughs> Cooper, have you seen that ice cream thing with the dog Cooper? No. It's this woman with who's taking her dogs through McDonald's to get the little doggy ice cream cones. Okay. I didn't know they and had that. McDonald's has little dog uh, things for dogs? Oh, little... Wait. I can share it on here. What? Yeah. Oh, this is brilliant. Okay. Cooper loves ice cream. We just went through the drive-up window. What did we get, Cooper? Daisy, what did we get at the drive-up window? No, Cooper. Let Daisy have some. No, Cooper. Daisy, where'd we go? <gasps> Did we go to McDonald's? Oh, poor Cooper. Just wait. No. Daisy gets hers first. <laughs> Why does Daisy get hers first? Because Cooper. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Oh, that is awesome. No wonder why good. <laughs> One oh. bite. Just, but, you know, there I we think, are. I see us now. Honestly, I think this is part of the podcast because this is, this is how people, we're doing what everybody else is doing. <laughs> this is how friends are connecting using, using Zoom, you know. It's true. Watching amusing YouTube videos. There you go. A great mental health. This is real. You know what? This is awesome. You can actually pass things back and forth and watch them together. Whoa. We've been pretty regularly having Friday night movie nights. Okay. And we've been calling them pamper nights. Pamper nights. Pamper nights. Spa nights. Oh, that's um, cute. Okay. I get it. I get and, it. <laughs> and one of their friends comes over and sometimes... Some of my friends come over too, and we have facial masks and nail polish, and we watch a movie. 
and we, you know, pamper ourselves. That's cute. And it was very sad not to be able to do that. Right. This has been on Friday nights. And so last night, what we did, there's a, there's a Chrome extension called Netflix Party. And we got to watch it together. And it syncs, like, if one of us pauses the movie, it pauses it for both of us. What? What is so, it like, called? Uh, Netflix Watch Party. You know, I've seen that where you can invite people. I think you can invite people via Facebook. Can't you? Oh, I don't know about, I know that Facebook, you can watch like Facebook videos together. Okay, so that's Facebook videos that you can watch together. Okay, okay. That's um, pretty awesome. I, see, I don't, I don't like have friends, so not like that. Do you want I, us to invite you to our pamper night? No, I'm okay. <laughs> How's your I week got, been? It's been new, you know, I've been doing a lot of Facebook and Instagram and and that's uh, that's hard. For creating content for Facebook, oh. you know, I think it it sets me aside so that when things do start picking back up, you know, mm -hmm. in the past when we've had things that are unique, uh, two thousand one and um, and then uh, two thousand nine, I generally do very well. I don't know what it is. I don't. I don't know if it's because of that's that's what I'm used to. The the whole idea of struggle. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It puts me into a into a mode that I probably grew up with, and that I'm normal. I'm I'm used to. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think I it's my fight or flight thing, and I I get into the fight mode. Like I'm not gonna lose. I was thinking about you this morning because I was listening to our last one before we release it to make sure it's not awful. And, um, and also I had emailed Maureen yesterday and I had noted that you are generally the optimist. It feels like to me, you're, you're sunny side up most of the time that we're talking, that that's also a, a really valuable life skill that you've picked up. So um, there's a song by James Taylor, which I love, called The Secret of Life. Have you ever listened to it? No, I don't know that one. Okay. It's just basically talking about how life is a gift, you know? And you've got your ups and downs. And basically, we're all on our way down. It's <laughs> pretty much what he said. Like, so you might as well enjoy the ride. You know what I'm saying? And mm. so sometimes I, if, if I think of life as a gift, and you look, think about the fact that we get to do this every day for as long as we can. It's kind of like real Dungeons and Dragons, if you really think about it. I mean, we, we have these things that we have to overcome. I think it would be boring if it just was, if, if there was nothing to do but just skate on through. I, I, is that a positive way of thinking of it? I don't, I don't know. It's just, I think yeah. it's what makes me get through. And here's the thing. What's sad, though, Amy, is that when I go through things, tragedies or whatever, I compartmentalize those things and I don't deal with them. Does that make sense? And they manifest yeah. themselves later on in, in life. That's the negative, you know? When you and I were talking on the phone and we started talking about vulnerability and self-care and, and how to balance that, and I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. And then I listened to it and we touched on it last week. We did? A little bit. We were talking about being real 
my, my whole theme last week was be the hero. Basically, what are you going to do? And I had to do that. I was posting these little Facebook things every day, these what's new in the neighborhood thing every day. And this is something I've wanted to do forever, right? Mm-hmm. But, and I would study people. I would, you know, watch the Today Show and study these guys and, you know, and, and, and I would never do it. And then something told that this whole week, I was like, you know what? Maybe what people need, maybe, maybe why I'm doing it is to let people know that what they, what, what the world may need is just the best you, not the new somebody else. So sometimes you just have to get in there and say, you know, this is me. Well, and I think the idea that, that you can sort of extrapolate from that is that all of us are doing are doing our best most of the time. Yeah, I don't know. I think you're right. We are doing the best that we can, each of us. But when I say be the hero, that doesn't mean that you have to be, you have to go out and save some people in a burning building or anything. But I look at the the people who are that food, uh, they're doing the, the food train. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Say you more know? about that for people who don't know. Um, they, they're collecting food and then giving it out to a meeting, I think, at, at uh, MC Sports uh, on the west side of town. And then they're distributing food. They're putting it together and distributing food for people that are, they, they might drop it off to people that are homeless and not homeless, but uh, don't have the ability to, to leave their, their, their spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you've got uh, another, you've got another group, Humanity for the Win. And Mm-hmm. I think what we're doing is kind of, it's what we're doing. Like what this podcast, mm-hmm. we're touching people too in our own way. We're Everyone's doing, you follow me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so. that's kind of what I mean by being, a, by, by being the hero, like what can, saying, what can I do? If we sit around and wait for other people to, to fix it, then we're not part of the solution. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. And it sounds a lot like uh, what I have come to know and love about you. I wonder sometimes about the, you know, we be out there and do this and we can get it done. Like this sort of um, pep talk. I'm someone who calls you for pep talks. So I'm well aware of how powerful they can be. I call you for pep talks too. (laughs) Every time I talk to you, I feel better. So, oh, no, I'm serious. Well, it, it's a reciprocal thing, but I believe it's a way of coping with things that are really overwhelming. And we started off with you talking about that sometimes you stuff it and, mm-hmm. and then it comes out in other ways. As I've been you know, watching clients and my kids and my friends and the news this week, one thing that I keep seeing is that this is so big and so uncertain that people just flail around wanting some kind of answer, some kind of certainty. I see like these really nice schedules for homeschooling, like that are all colorful. (laughs) And, and I hear people worrying about, are they doing it right? You know, and I've had conversations about how do you cultivate hope and keep the hope out there. And, and there were days that I just was like, I don't know. I don't know a good answer to that question. And I think there's something to be said for allowing 
ourselves to feel the gravity of this situation. And I'm not saying like tank over it. It's possible we have time for people to fully experience the emotions that they're having about this and still have time to get up and then do the things that they need to do. You know, it's hard for me to say that in the sense that I feel like I'm under a time constraint. I'm, I feel like it's a time bomb and that I'm trying to do, even though it's, it's so big, I want to do what I can do right now. I, look, I'm, I'm African-American and I'm diabetic. My mm. mom has lupus. These are things that I can't fix. You know what I'm saying? And yet yeah. I own a business which is, you know, economy driven and the ability for people to get out and go around is, is, is kind of important when it comes to buying or selling homes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I have to be creative in, I can't just sit still because there's so much that if I just sit still, then I'm just, I'm done. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? I had to manage my own gut reaction of fear to picture you being out and about while having risk factors. I'm not saving lives, but most people have their net worth tied into their, their homes or the ability to sell it or the, you know, and so, uh, and they need to move and it's not just me on the line. It's my 30 plus clients that I've got to, that are freaking out, you know, and I got to keep them. I got to stay positive for them. You know, I got to be that cheerleader for them right now, but after we're done, then maybe it's like I said, it's going to be time for me to say, hopefully it's time for me to sit there and say, what the hell did I just go through? Yeah. What we are going through, we, we are going through hell, let's be honest, right? Yeah, some of us more than others. Some of us um, more than others. I, that, that, uh, those articles you sent me today, this morning. Yeah. I kind of had the feeling, I, me and Nicole had been talking about this, mm -hmm. noticing how the inner cities are the ones that are feeling the wrath of this. And we were talking about this like last week about how, um, how there's a lot of African-Americans or people of color in these cities. And if there's any way that, you know, like what's the percentage, you know, and then mm -hmm. seeing that it, it, it correlates with our fears. And have you noticed all the great African-American jazz greats that have been dying? Yes. I mean, yeah. go ahead and tell the audience what you sent me. It was an, NPR article. I'd read a couple earlier that were speculating about race and, you know, how racism is, you know, of course, it's not like it's gone. We're just busy talking about other things. And because it still is such a piece of how we do business. And we know that our medical system is wrapped up in racism, too. I mean, we could do multiple discussions mm -hmm. on African-American mortality rates in birth, the Tuskegee experiments. Yeah, anyway, they were, they were doing the numbers of like the percentages of patients and the percentages of really serious patients mm -hmm. compared to the like percentage of the population. Mm -hmm. And in places like Detroit and Milwaukee, Milwaukee was the really scary one. And that, and part of, it's not because Milwaukee's uh, that much more awful than someplace else. It's because Milwaukee took, is keeping track of it. That's right. They're keeping track of it, and and uh, and we're we're seeing that it it's probably a trend throughout the United States where 
and, and, and maybe that's why they're not keeping track of it. It's a trend that a large majority of the people that are dying are actually African-American. Mm-hmm. When you compare the, you know, the total population compared to the, wasn't it 40% of the people that die or that have it and have passed in Milwaukee were African-American? It's something crazy. And Detroit was high too. Yeah, it was, it was really high. And I don't North remember. Carolina, what- same thing. New Orleans, what is it? The area that had the most, that's had the most upticks of, of the disease in the parish in New Orleans is 80% black. Let me see, I'm gonna find it. Whoa, oh, uh, African-Americans made up almost half of Milwaukee County's 945 cases and 81% of the deaths. Yes in a county where the population is 26% black. It wasn't NPR, it was ProPublica, and we'll have a link. And then there was an, a, another NPR article that you had. But, and, and I, I think, it, and it's partially, uh, African-Americans are not getting tested as easily. It's harder for them to get tested right. than every everyone else. I know there was somebody mentioned Meharry, which is interesting. My grandparents went to Meharry Medical College which is a, a majority African-American medical school. They actually had a area where they were supposed to do testing, but none of the kits came in. Yet mm-hmm. somewhere else in Nashville, like on Vanderbilt's campus, there was plenty. And in the suburbans, there was plenty of tests, but not in, not in this uh, African-American area. Just, and that's the problem. We're not getting tested. And it's being spread further and further along. It reminds me of... The, dr- the same thing with the drug war. It's the same damn pattern. No mm-hmm. one cared about the, the addicts when it was happening in African-American communities. No one cared. It was send them to j- jail, three strikes, you're out, right? Mm-hmm. Now, th- that since meth is now throughout the rural regions and, and suburbia, all of a sudden we've got... You know, we, we, we want to help everyone that has drug issues, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I should have known, I guess, but I was sort of imagining this as the great equalizer because all of the stories I was seeing online were of white families who lost people. I know. I, I thought so, too. I, was, I think I mentioned that. I said, this is the, this is the equalizer. Yeah. It's not. It's... it's it, 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 it is in the sense that it gets everybody, but it isn't how they, it, it isn't an equalizer on how people are being treated for it. Right, right. And, and there's, I think, you know, I think there's some cases that are just going to be difficult to treat no matter what, but there are other cases yeah. where if they get them, I was reading, if they can get them started on treatment in time, then they have a much better chance of saving the person. And they were describing, like this article described, um, an African-American person in Milwaukee being sent home told, oh, it's just the flu, but we'll run a test and dying before the next day when the test came back positive. Jesus Christ. You know, and I picture like this family trying to manage that. And, and then I start doing the math and wondering how many people got infected because they sent that person home. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the key right there, right? That's mm-hmm. the problem. It they it it they don't care. I mean, it's getting spread because people are not being being tested. Hmm. Oh, I'm so pissed. I'm trying to be calm, but it's just so overwhelmingly sad. 
when you think about this pattern? I read an article about how the South, ha the Southeast has responded to the virus. And, you know, there've been lots of uh, social media memes and sort of asshole posts about how um, stupid Southern people are and how they're probably gonna all die. And this article was saying, yes, they have some leadership problems that are pretty severe. And they've got, you know, some church leaders that are flat out bonkers. But they also have a high poverty rate and they have transportation problems and they have access to healthcare problems and they have people working jobs that don't give them the ability to shelter in place. The Alabama numbers are projected to go higher than California. That's not like a per, per capita thing. That's like they will have more sickness mm -hmm. in Alabama than they do in California. The one thing I read and that, that just is... Oh my gosh, I hope we don't sound like AM radio people who are like just making up shit. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, look, we're not, we're not, we're not numbers people. I mean, we're just, we're having a conversation and we're trying to back it up with numbers that we remember. And they might be slightly wrong, but I think the folks get the gist of what we're talking about. Yeah. What, what, we're, we're not fabricating the truth. Oh, well, I was going to, uh, go back to talking about vulnerability. Okay. Oh, I, I was off that. I thought you were going to get off that. You you're, talking, you you're trying to talk directly to me. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite, the, when, when RCT was in its infancy, they had these things called working papers, works in progress. And, um, and I love that name. You know, the idea that we are continuing to learn and to form this idea. And one of them was by uh, Judith Jordan. This is one of those that I return to time and time again. It's like a touchstone one for me. And she talks about how much courage it takes to be vulnerable and that our society, like the way we function, we don't value it. We don't value vulnerability. We value um, toughness. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Uh, don't be so thin-skinned. Rather than how you're feeling things deeply and you're being authentic about your experience, I think putting those two things together in order to do that, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. But can I ask you something? Yeah. I think toughness or someone pushing through it doesn't necessarily mean that they are not vulnerable. I think it, it's okay to, I'm trying to unwrap my dog. <laughs> Cooper. All right. Cooper. She keeps chasing after bees. But I, I think that there are, are people who show strength, but they are vulnerable. And they know they're vulnerable, but they've never had a safety net. Imagine where it's only you, like you're in school, you've made it to college and there is no safety net. Like your parents have no money you're, or it's just you and your little brother or little sister at home and you're 10 years old and your brother is five or whatever. And you've got to make the meal mm -hmm. and you've got to do all this stuff. And you, it's you, it's you, it's you. There mm -hmm. is no safety net. The vulnerability, you don't have the ability, you don't have the foundation to be vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Right. So there's a lot of people out there like that. As I was 
um, describing this article, I was thinking about the privilege that comes into being vulnerable too, and reminding myself that in relational cultural theory, when we talk about strategies of disconnection, which are you know ways that we stay safe in a relationship, basically, are also called strategies of survival, which sometimes involve appearing tough. The two things I've been thinking about all week a lot are vulnerability in the face of this giant thing that is engulfing our world and hope and where do we find hope and i mean like real hope like something that i will believe because i'm more cynical sometimes than you and i think that i think we find that hope in the vulnerability and that's why it's hard to find hope right now because we're so scared that we're not letting ourselves be vulnerable and if we can't be a little bit vulnerable we can't really find that hope that's down in there hmm. i've seen a lot of hope though yeah I, I, okay so i dropped off some um, coca-cola diet coke on your front porch yesterday. <laughs> yes you did all right how many ha, have you had other friends do the same thing uh, i had a friend drop off my people's market share just this morning okay I've had my neighbors, my neighbors, every night, my neighbors congregate on the porch across the street. Uh Not on the porch, like the neighbors across the street, they're six feet from the front. They're on the ground talking Mm -hmm. to the people. And so other people join Mm -hmm. on like off of this front porch. Uh, Yesterday, there were 10 of us on the street and I was on my porch and and Scott was over here, and then the other neighbor was over here, and we were all having these conversations. We're all, mm-hmm. it's it, within, you know, we're, we're all 100 feet apart, but we're still Good. talking. Because you know, I'm and, getting more and more anxious as you're telling me. No, I'm just saying that hope in humanity, I think we're seeing that we have to change, that we have been living, the whole idea of American exceptionalism has been a lie. Mm-hmm. Not saying it wasn't there before. Not, not saying that it isn't still a great nation, but there's so much more that we need to do. And now we know what needs to be fixed. We know that our health care was not up to snuff. It all needs to be fixed. I get into this conversation with my therapist with some regularity <laughs> about whether or not I can save everyone. And you were talking about having that idea too, that you wanted to make everyone happy and that you had learned not, you know, to try to pay attention to caring for your family. Oh, okay. This is the the biggest thing I learned from my therapist. Mm -hmm. For years, I was a nice person, like overly nice. Yeah, whatever. Couldn't have a, I couldn't be in business for 27 years if I, if I can't show my teeth sometimes. Let's just be honest. Right. And so, um, but so many times I would, I'd be the one left holding the buck. And not just business-wise, but just my boundaries, my all kinds of stuff, okay? Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, you need to know that there's a difference between being a good person and being a nice person. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, what, what, I, I, don't, I don't understand. They're the same thing. He says, no, they're not. He says, you can be a good person without always being nice. There are times that you have to take, you have to protect yourself and you have to protect your family. You mm-hmm. can't sacrifice, continue to sacrifice yourself because you want to be nice. Something that Maureen talks about a lot when she's been here about niceness being a way to opt out of real talk. When I let myself be vulnerable enough to notice that me hanging on to something hurts someone else. Like you, you were saying if, if we still owned our last house and we were like renting it and I was like, I wouldn't be, I, I couldn't imagine. And you were like, well, you might lose it. And, but if I allow myself to really see the pain of the people around me, then it just makes sense to give what I have. Okay. I, I'm going to disagree a little bit here. Okay. You, you do that. We do that on this show. We can, we can do that. And, and, and hear me out because I do like to give to the community. Mm-hmm. I do. But it, it's going to be one of those things where if I sacrifice myself too much, I can no longer give. I, I get in a situation where I am in need. And then I don't have a way to give to my community in the future. If you're going to be the dude or the person that people can seek for help, you have to also remain strong. You have to also be in a position to continue to be that person. It's vulnerability and authenticity that allows you to do that in a way that doesn't crush your soul. Like I, I can't have a 100% free or low cost therapy business because then I can't pay the taxes. No. And the center, the center does not exist anymore. And, and it's and helping that, so many people. And that's really hard for me because there's a part of me in the, my head that says, but this person needs that and you have it. Why wouldn't you just give it to them? And so what I'm seeing, and I'm, li- I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking about the wisdom in what you're saying. And I think where I'm landing is that I have to be able to touch that part of me that wants everyone to have it, that wants me not to have more, but everyone to have what they need. And if I can't realistically look at that, and then take action accordingly, whether that means that because I can still work during this time, that I would be more willing to support other projects, you know, like the, the people's market where you can buy a, a box of produce that goes to another family when you buy the box of produce for your family. But I think there's like a balance between us that is about being vulnerable so that you know what you're doing and then being authentic about how to keep it together, like putting your oxygen mask on first. Oh, that is perfect. That is, I mean, honestly, putting your oxygen mask on first is exactly what we're talking about. You can't help others. If if you're not healthy, you cannot help others. Tell me a few things that are giving you hope right now. I think that would be a good, a good way to. Things that are giving me hope. 
it's a good time to be quarantined. It really is. The sun is out. The things are in bloom. It's a beautiful time to live in Bloomington and be home. It is beautiful. Sunlight always gives me hope. I saw my first indigo blue bunting this morning of the season. Yeah. Right, right in our front yard. Mm. You know, that indigo blue with like, it's got like little out, little traces of orange mixed in. Oh, with yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I, I picked some from your yard yesterday. No, it's a bird. <laughs> no, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah, bunting? What's a bu So it's called a bunt? What, what kind of indigo bird? Indigo blue bunting. It's the name of the bird. I don't know. That's a shame. I just acted like uh, like I knew what the hell you were talking about. I'm like, yeah, okay. yeah, it's a blue bird of happiness. Okay, okay, I, I missed that then. I did not pick your bird. <sighs> what are you, What are you happy about? What's making well, you, you the bird and and that I have you to bring me diet coke when we out. <laughs> but I love doing that. I like the idea that this could help us take action that could carry on outside of this. Mm -hmm. You know, that this could help us emerge with new, like it, when we did our, our Netflix and uh, watch party last night, and I'm not going to say what we watched because then it would be a spoiler. But since I'm not saying what it was, this is okay to say. Um, at the end, one of the characters has this line and says, go ahead, break my heart into a million pieces. And I think that coronavirus has the... Oh, I hate you right now. The potential. Oh my God, I haven't seen that movie yet. You don't, you don't even know what movie it I is. I do. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's going to be uh, The Avengers. <laughs> oh, I just broke someone's eardrum. You're gonna have to adjust that. <laughs> it's not the adventures. It's not. He's, but what's his name? Has a heart, right? Doesn't he have that funky heart? That, that... Yeah, it's not the adventures. It's not. It's okay. a romance. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I was thinking. A romance. The coronavirus oh. has the potential, if we allow it to. And this is what I mean about the courage to be vulnerable to break our hearts into a cabillion pieces and to open us to seeing the suffering that is all around us all the time, but we don't see it. And this is forcing us to see it. And if we can be vulnerable enough to let it in, to really understand what it's like to be without healthcare, to be without any kind of cushioning that would provide childcare or benefits if your child is sick or your parent is sick and you're caregiving, then we can come out of this with a new heart, you know, with, with a new vision of where we're going. If we can really face up to the race, how racism is playing into this, you know, if we can read about Milwaukee and Detroit and really take it in, like drop your defensiveness, white people, and just let it in, then maybe on the other side of this, there will be 
trainings for medical professionals that help them with their implicit bias problems and that and working to have equity in healthcare and in employment and like all of these things maybe this will help maybe maybe we can see it and come out better for it that'd be nice that would be nice but that is that would be that would be all that would be hopeful if not it's not like we can march on washington in any large groups anymore no i'm hopeful man it, it, we just have to get through it yeah we have to get we we have to get through it and and i guess maybe that's part of it is that we're you're no, we're not going to be able to land in a place where we're like oh shoo we figured it out and we all feel better because that is miles away from here and i don't mean miles away as in we're almost there i mean light years away this is going to be a new normal this is not going to be the last time something like this happens in our lifetime yeah so we've got to have our shit together for now on we can't be, we can't say whoo yeah we, we need to take action we've got to take action so i'm going to throw out something that helped me feel better this week okay as well and that was finding the humor in this because I had this sense actually when I found these particular memes, you know, like when you've had like this big, I don't, I don't know how often you cry, but it feels to me like when, when everything falls apart and I'm just like ugly crying, that there's a point where I catch my breath at the end. And then I usually say something funny and it helps me like come back to <laughs> rational thinking it's it's usually something that gives me a little perspective and that's how i felt earlier this week with all of the memes on twitter about march but like one of them was a picture of winona Ryder um all dressed up at the beginning of heathers and it says march 1st okay. on that. and then the next one was winona Ryder at the end of heathers with the cigarette hanging out of her mouth and her hair all exploded. Oh God, I forgot about black her hair. all over her face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says okay. March 31st. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, and just all of these really funny things about like how all these different months have these days, but March has 8,000. And um, because it did feel like, like it felt like we had a whole new world happen in the middle of March. And then we lived a couple years in this new world and then it got to be April. That humor really, helped me. It helped me feel like I wasn't in it alone and that other people were having the same experience. Uh, I'm walking Cooper. This is my positive. I, I, I decided to. We, we've gone walking like on trails and stuff. Oh, awesome. And she stays in her lane. She stays on the right side of me all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving walking with her. That's awesome. She doesn't pull me to death like she used to. It's like, oh my God. I've never had a dog like that. We can do this. She was yeah. really, she did it at first. She was pulling my arm and I said, hey, look, we're not, and I, and I faced her, I put her little hand <laughs> in my, I, I, I looked at her face to face and we, we looked, we had a, and I, we had a moment, a, a come to Jesus. So I said, look, we are not going to do this. If you cannot stay in your life, we'll go right back to the car. I promise you. And she said, thanks for pointing that out. And she did. Yeah. And, and she said, and, and I said, let's do this. Let's try it again. 
and we tried it and she's been good ever since. It must have been the direct way. I really, I really think it must have been. You should have seen her. She's like, okay, we can do this. You're right. I don't want to go back to the car. Let's yeah, do this. I, I have found that logic really is the best tool in talking to dogs. I, I think we don't give them enough credit. I talked to her in complete sentences. Carter and I went for a long walk yesterday. It was lovely. Where are you guys walking at? We walk mostly in the streets because it's easier to keep the distance. Like when you go to the park or you go on the beeline, sometimes it's hard to, to keep away. And I've been, I've been thinking about noticing like, <laughs> this is gross, but like if someone passes me on the beeline and I can smell them, then that means there's like little things in oh the my air God, that are getting in my nose from oh the, my God. my breath could get on them too. So I'm trying to stay out of smelling distance. Okay. Well, I think that's you're, you're, that's fine. Your mental health is a lot is a lot more secure than mine is. And me staying in, in the in the house, I, I would, you know, I would I would not last long here. I would not. I would sit, I would be voices would be talking to me and. Mm -mm. <laughs> And my wife would be like, just, I think you just need to go, go leave, go, 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 uh, go hug people, is what she'd say. <laughs> she would not. <laughs> she would. Uh, all right, all right guys. guys, I'll see ya. See you later. Bye. Bye. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKees LCSW took place at separate locations in Bloomington, Indiana on Saturday, April 4, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKees. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. Cooper, hey, Cooper. Leave, the bees, leave the bees alone. You do not want to catch that. I'm, I promise you, you're not going to want to catch it. It'll be the last time you catch that bee. <laughs>